Hi, I'm Dean, and this is the MongoDB podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a game I made called Oz. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast, and as ever, thanks for joining us for another episode. My name is Shane McAllister, and if it's not too late, Happy New Year to all our listeners, and we're very much looking forward to superb 2023 and some exciting episodes to bring your way. So as ever, please remember to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you use so you don't miss a thing. On this week's episodes, we dive into the area of gaming, and more particularly, beat matching and rhythm games, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dean Herbert, founder of OS. OS is a hugely popular online rhythm game. It's open source and uses the Realm.net SDK from MongoDB. And in this episode, we learn more about its inception, why Dean built it, and how it's grown hugely in the many years since Dean single-handedly built it himself, and how he's turned his hobby into his day job and built a huge and loyal community following. Let's jump right in. On the show today, we are joined by Dean. Dean, please introduce yourself to the audience here in the MongoDB podcast. Tell us who you are and, and what do you do? Yep. Hi, um, I'm Dean. I make a game called Oz. been working on it s since 2007, so it's been kind of my life for the last 15 years. started off as a bit of a, a hobby thing. Um, I got into it because I was always interested in the, the rhythm game side of things. Uh, in my childhood, I grew up in Australia, and we we had arcades, which occasionally got these rhythm games in, and I was always into music and gaming, so that combination really struck something with me. But we didn't have that many arcades, and quite often they would shut down or these games would just disappear out of the blue. So when the internet came around and these people were making online simulators of these rhythm games. And suddenly I, I had access to play the games whenever I wanted on my PC. So that, that's kind of how this was born out of that. Uh, so take us back to the beginning, Ask. There's a Japanese meaning behind the name. And also for our audience who are quite wide and varied, who mightn't understand rhythm and beat matching games, can you explain a little bit about where they originated from and, and what's involved in playing those? Yeah, sure thing. So there's a lot of different styles of rhythm games, but OS is based on, it's actually based on a game which was published by Nintendo on the Nintendo DS, and that game was called OS Tatakai Oendan. And it was kind of a story-driven game where you would play through this journey with uh, cheerleaders. They're actually male cheerleaders called called the Oendan. And the word OS in that is kind of part of their chant, which which they're like trying to encourage people that uh, have these stories in life where they've, you know, hit hit the rock bottom and you have to play along into the game in time with the music, tapping on the Nintendo DS screen to get them into a better state of mind and quite often save the day. So I was born out of that. Um, I played that game and obviously because it was published to a mobile system, you're limited to play the levels that were included in the game. And I immediately wanted to add my own songs into the game, you know, to create new levels for it. So that's that's how us was born. Okay, so it's it's 15 years ago since this inception. What yes. size is it now? What size is the team? And what's your day-to-day -day role on the team, Dean? Maybe for the first five or even more years, it was just me working on the game. started off as a hobby and I eventually, I, I, was, I originally was employed full-time as a .NET developer. I was working on migrating some J2E systems across to .NET. So yeah, I had a, I had a good experience with, a good amount of experience with .NET yeah, over the years, it was originally just me, and I kind of moved from 
the game being a side project to being full-time as people started to show more interest in the game and actually financially, financially contribute to it? That's fascinating because I think in my own past, I've met a lot of developers who are frustrated game developers, you know, yes. so they, they go down the road of, of exactly what you're describing, Dean, which is, you know, following their passion, following something that they're interested in. But it's, it's really, really hard to turn that into the day job. But you've managed that. Yeah, I guess um, a certain degree of luck there. And just I, I had a, a huge amount of passion towards the game. So I, I was spending every every waking hour and oftentimes I was sleeping like three hours a, d- a day for like years at a time back back when I was <laughs> y- y- of a younger age, um, <laughs> constantly working on this <laughs> game. So people saw the amount of change I was putting into it and the amount I was listening to users' feedback, I guess, and giving them exactly what they asked for. Yeah, in the early days, I, I made some very rapid development progress, maybe at the detriment of code quality. But yeah, over the years, we have increased the size of the team. So I think there's about eight of us full-time working on the game now, wow. various elements of the game, the client and the infrastructure behind it. And then we also have a huge amount of community contributors, so basically volunteers that keep the the user content, the curation systems of the game running, the moderation of the online community. And so you're based in Japan. Where are the rest of the team? Are they in, in Japan as well too, or are they spread globally? Yeah, so we do have a few d- devs over in Japan, but most of the team is working remotely. We've always um, mm-hmm. basically promoted people up from these volunteer roles into kind of full-time roles, and they've just been working from where, wherever they are in the world. So we have a few in America, some in Australia, some in uh, East Asia as well, different areas. Wow, that's excellent. So obviously there you mentioned the inception was from the game that you saw a Nintendo game. There's obviously yes. other kind of rhythm matching beat matching games out there. What sets us apart from those? I guess the main thing is that we've always been um, very community driven, uh, focused on user content. So from day one, mm-hmm. the game kind of shipped with an editor where you could create these levels in the game. The game never never came with levels included, so it was always up to the user okay. to create that content. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, I guess, I've always tried to run the game very differently to how the industry is progressing. I, I'm not a huge fan of the, um, the monetization of gaming these days, so I've always done mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. the way I would want them to be done if I was a user of the game. It's never been about getting profit from the game. Okay, so you're taking it from that perspective. So... I think, you know, certainly that brings us to the question of, of revenue. And, and I know, and I've been browsing the O site, uh, you've got yeah. an amazing swag store. I love the plushies. And obviously there's ancillary revenue there. But how, how does, how is O supported? How is your team of eight developers supported? Yeah, so we do have the merchandise side of things, but that doesn't really, um, that that only covers basically the tournament prizes side of things these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our mm-hmm. revenue comes from people just donating to the game. We we have this system called supporter tags, which is basically the ability to buy or donate, contribute for X months or X years, and you get a few in-game perks, things like uh, more customization for your profile and just a few features inside the game that make it more easy to access certain features of the game, ability to upload more content, than normal users, just a few perks like that. I've always tried to keep the perks that you get limited to things which actually cost us more. So there's actually a tangible um, mapping of the money people are paying to what they get in return. That's very interesting. And I suppose, I mean, we are used to the larger gaming sphere where that is not 
always the most altruistic intentions there. Yes. It's 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 profit and largesse and and building bigger and bigger games and bigger developer teams at bigger cost, etc. as well too. And I will get later on, hopefully, into the community because that is super impressive what you were doing your community. But just again to fill in the background, you mentioned that you know you you launched it. It didn't come with any beat maps in there. You had to create them yourself. How does that happen? What is a beat map? How are they made? And and yeah. how many pe- have people created over the time that you've run us? Yeah. So um, that's the other thing. When I first made the game, there were other simulators on the PC platform, but they didn't really come with the tools that let you jump straight mm-hmm. into to creating the levels. So I. Basically, from the main menu of the game, you can go into the editor and then you just drag in any MP3 you want to create a level for and mm-hmm. set up the timing. So you tap in time to the to the song to get the BPM set up. And then you can just start placing um, objects on the screen. So we have three different kinds okay. of objects. There's like standard hits and then hold hits, which run over a duration, and then spinners, mm-hmm. which is a, a kind of gimmick where you have to spin as fast as you can. So it gives you a lot of um, flexibility over what you want, want you, how how you want to create the level for the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other aspect is that when you place these objects, you can give them special sounds. So you can actually create like almost a drum rhythm over the original song, which gives it a new character. And okay. this is one of the main reasons I actually was very interested in this game more so than other rhythm games. Is that Nintendo or INIS, which was the original publisher, they created these. Um, almost soundscapes on top of the original songs and mm-hmm, they just mm-hmm. stuck in my head. I Every time I heard a song on the radio, I could hear these. Uh, I, I wanted to add okay. these rhythms on top of the song. Okay, so when you're uploading a, an MP3, is that any MP3 or is there a copyright reason, you know, issues, etc. as well too, I would imagine? So it's, it's all local um, when you actually drag the MP3 in. So you can, okay. in theory, uh, add anything and... Oh, I see. So you, you can, so you're creating the beat map on top of a popular piece of music but it's your local piece of music that yeah but we do allow that to be uploaded to the servers so i guess it was a very gray area for a long period of time where people were uploading this content we obviously take it down whenever we get requests but the other thing that was really good is once we over the last five or six years when we actually started turning in a good profit i've contributed all that profit back to uh, licensing the music so we've gone back retroactively and all the most popular uh, levels that have been up to, uploaded to the game, we've reached out to the artists and we've got something like 4,000 licensed tracks now, which I think is the most of any rhythm game out there. So we've we've tried our best to bring that back around into the legal yeah. realm. I love this story. This, this is great. And and overall, how many tracks have been uploaded to OS? So, uh, yeah, there's, there's something over 2 million, I think, levels have been created. Wow. And then of that, we have like a process which ensures that some of the levels are very high quality and they get what we call the ranked status, which uh, gives them leaderboards and a few other special features. And I think we have something like 50,000 of those. Wow. So speaking of, of numbers in that scale, what yeah. size is the OS community? How many players do you have? What sort of countries are they in? How often do they play it? Sure. Yeah, so we, um, we've got something like 30 million registered users now. The concurrent user base is something in the range of twenty to forty thousand. During the the peak over the last few years, we had a huge influx of users uh, during COVID, and that got us up to something like forty eight thousand concurrent users at peak. We see people playing like every month. About two to three million people come back. 
So that's that's the um, ongoing user base, I guess, is around two two mil. Wow, this is amazing, Dean. I mean, obviously, I've spoken with you before, and we've interacted over a while, but I did not know the stats were this large. That is, they are sort of numbers that most game companies and businesses alone would, would kill for. That is incredible yeah. that you've built this from the inception yourself and then through into the small team, and more importantly, the style and the nature with which you've been building this. And and I know you said earlier, community is really big to us, and you have you have contests and tournaments and live streams. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, so all our tournaments are basically community run. We do have an official official one, which is called the OS World Cup. And that is that very is topical supported. for the moment. At the anyway, <laughs> yes, yep. <laughs> uh, that is uh, like it's financially supported by us, but it's still run heavily by the community. And yeah, we have we have various contests going on. So things like fan art contests and uh, composition contests for songs to be used in the game, and also for the levels. Obviously, there's we mm-hmm, do a lot mm-hmm. of ongoing things like that just to invigorate the community. I guess. Yeah. So you have. As you said, you know, you ran into 30 million registered, uh, you know, tens of thousands kind of concurrently, et cetera, as well. And we'll yeah. talk a little bit about the tech stack in a while. But where is your most popular country? What's, you know, going back to the beat maps, is there a very popular style of beat map or do they go in and out of vogue? Yeah, so uh, the top countries, I guess, is the US and Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a, had a bit of drop off in financial support on one of those two over the last year or so due to world events. But yeah, yeah, over the years that has changed. So we used to have a huge Asian following, but it seems like certain countries come in and go out. Mm-hmm. And the style of music we see or beat maps, it really does vary. We have basically every genre you could think of, but the most popular levels in the game are the ones which seem to give higher score than they should <laughs> so people are always okay. looking to get to, yeah to get the highest score in in levels so there's one which is 30 seconds long that people are constantly retrying to, to get the highest score <laughs> and that's that's one of our most popular so they're doing that to basically level up and it's a, it's you know, pretty much a, yeah easier we have way a, to keep at it yes yeah yeah it's all about increasing your statistics and when I looked at the, you have a great table on the website for rankings and country rankings and player mm-hmm. rankings. And, you know, when you go into the users, I, I see users play counts of into the hundreds of thousands. So is that cumulatively over the years? It is, yeah. Do they do anything else? It would seem if you, <laughs> if you add things in the hundred, hundreds of yeah, thousands, actually, for example. One of the most impressive things to me is there's actually people that stream this game full time these days and they're, they're making a living off of it. They're supporting their own production teams off a game that I made and okay. that just kind of blows my mind. In some cases, I think they're actually making more than the game itself. <laughs> That's an interesting one. <laughs> that is that yeah i mean i think look uh, we see the the rise of that certainly over the last number of years and again particularly during covid when yeah you know, people are at home and and you know you you've multi screens as well so i think a lot of people stream in the background while they're mm-hmm. while they're while they're doing yeah, that. that yeah that's great incredible background that's noise. a great community yep. yeah most definitely this is you know sounds really interesting if i want to get started with os what do i do where do i go how do i how do i get playing Yep, so you can grab the game off our website, osu.ppy.sh, or if you want to try out the new version, which we've we've currently been uh, basically rewriting the game from the ground up, and that's on GitHub right now. That's the open source part of it. Go to PPY on GitHub. I'm sure you'll find it pretty easily. And yeah, all the account registration, everything's done from the game itself, so there's... 
Great. And I see that you, I, I loved, I went into the rules section. Your community rules are very fair, very equitable. But the first one is that you you have one account and one account only for yes. life. Explain yeah. to me a little bit about that decision, why you went down that and purely to stop gamification? Basically, it's to um, ensure the integrity of the leaderboards. If people mm -hmm. were allowed mm -hmm. to create as many accounts as they want, you would see people like showing up at like rank one, rank two, rank three. So that that's the main reason. It's kind of just stuck that way over the years. It's one of the harder rules to enforce, as you can imagine. I can imagine, yes. Yeah. How do you please that? We have various metrics uh, similar to, like, I guess, what advertising companies do to track people online. We do our best, but also we generally don't enforce that rule unless we need to, unless we see people actually abu abusing the system to a greater extent. So like, my thinking is, is always that if people aren't causing detrimental experience to other users, if they're not affecting the general user experience, then I don't really put too sure, much effort into sure. tracking them down. Yeah. So we know where to go. We know where to get it. Obviously, if you're only getting it now, you have a lot of ground to make up with all of the other players yeah, and but, everything else. But that's but the it, other thing is it's it's a very casual game. So you can just jump in, play once and, you know, never come back or, you know, play it very casually. It's it's not one of the games where you have to be competitive or keep up with the, the ongoing systems. Yeah. Okay. So you can dip in and out you, you're, you're, as, as time permits and, you know, as you, as... Uh, yeah, you don't have to put several home. hundred thousand hours into the game or whatever people are doing. <laughs> very good, very good. So talk to me a little bit. Let's get deeper into the technology behind it, Dean, if we sure. can. Like with that sort of numbers, with that large amount of registrations, that amount of current, current users, I'm really keen to understand a little bit more about how you built it and, and what, are the, what are the core technologies behind it. Yeah, so um, it's it's actually an interesting one because I did a talk recently on the infrastructure and I got a lot of feedback from people being very impressed with how mm -hmm. um, how lean our team is and our infrastructure for the size of the game. And that's, mm. that's something I've always aimed for is uh, to keep things as simple as possible because I've been basically single-handedly running the infrastructure for the game even to this date. I do have one other person helping me with um, some migration we're doing to Kubernetes these days mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. kind of containerize everything. But we, our infrastructure these days, it's changed over the years, obviously, as we've had to scale up to more users. But we're using um, DigitalOcean as our main host for cloud hosting. Okay. Uh, we run something like 150 different droplets doing different stuff on there. And then we also use S3 for storage and um, OVH for some of the higher bandwidth distribution. Uh, one of the things is we don't rely on Steam or any other distribution platforms. So we kind of have to bear that ourselves, all the updating okay. infrastructure, mm -hmm. yeah, everything is kind of um, written from the ground up. That's one of the things that really interests me. So I enjoy doing that, keeping it all completely independent of these other systems. Sure. And in the time that you've been doing it then, Dean, what has changed? Obviously, you know, you, you mentioned DigitalOcean and S3, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've been building this initially, starting yourself 15 years ago, you've seen yeah. a huge amount of changes in the tech landscape. For sure. And then yeah, what, and how, you know, where did you start? How did, you know, how and how did you manage the changes over time, the migrations that you needed to do, et cetera? Yep. So um, I did originally start, it was just running on my home server, basically, back in the mm -hmm. oh, wow. early two, well, late 2000s, 2008, 2009, and then gradually scaled up from there. So I went to shared hosting, then dedicated servers, then more dedicated servers. And at some <laughs> point, 
got a bit annoyed at switching between hosting platforms um, because I had to basically rent out servers. Uh, it was very hard to get a good level of remote support from mm-hmm, these hosting mm-hmm. companies. So when DigitalOcean came around, it was very enticing, you know, virtualizing this and making it a lot easier to uh, migrate between different servers. And also they had uh, very good support to a level that I had never experienced before. We've, we, our database is MySQL and we've had to scale that up over the years. We, we used to have just a single database, but these days it's something like five different servers running in a small cluster. And yeah, just constant scaling, I guess. Excellent, excellent. And and while we're on that subject, let's talk a little bit about why uh, I came to to meet you a, a year or two ago. You're, mm. you're migrating across to using Realm um, from yes. MongoDB. Tell us about that process. Why did you start that? How did it go? How long did it take? And and what's been the benefits of of doing that for you? Yep. So I'll just um, mention that uh, this is going onto the client side of things now. So we we've been using .NET .NET Framework originally and in 2017, I basically decided it was time to rewrite the game and to go completely open source as part of that. Um, it's always been one of my goals to keep as transparent as possible. So switching to open source was like a no-brainer at this point. So we switched to .NET Core. Um, we were using SQLite, SQLite, along mm-hmm. with um, Entity Framework EF Core in the early days. And that worked quite well, but we were using it in a very haphazard way because it, EF Entity Framework was kind of made more for websites where everything is has a very sane threading model. You've got a request coming in and you're doing various things across that request and that's the lifetime of a request. With a game, that's not the case. It's running for you know potentially hours on end and we have all these threads doing different things, access, accessing the same data. So EF, while it worked for us, was it was a very haphazard setup and as we tried to migrate from EF2 to EF3, we just hit all these issues where they had enforced all these new rules with threading and we couldn't make it work for us. So I wanted to fix our threading model, our data access model. And Realm had this, um, it was really enticing to me. It has asset compliance and it really, Realm is very stringent in how it allows you to do threading, which uh, I saw as a benefit, even though we would have to put in some initial effort to get that working. It meant that we could really streamline streamline our data access and be forced to do things in a in a good way. It's quite opinionated, right? Yes, <laughs> in terms of definitely. how things go. Yep. Yes, yes, uh, in a good way, though, as you say. <laughs> yes. So you commenced that, I think, probably when we first spoke. It was towards the end of 2020, or the beginning of 2021, and it was completed a while back. So, and I would imagine it's not a task you undertook. Uh, light-handedly, given the scale um, of, of and you know this rewrite of the game that you were doing, yeah. So um, one of the things with us is it's a very data-driven game because most of the content is user-created. We have basically this huge local client-side database, mm-hmm. and that that's one of the main reasons I put so much thought and yeah weight into the decision to get this right and to switch to Realm. I think I tried it probably three times over from scratch before I actually figured out how we could make it work. And it was a huge undertaking, but it turned out okay in the end. <laughs> good, Luckily. Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. And I know that the 
the the realm team is particularly on the .NET SDK team, Nicola and and, and the others are. We we had some two and forward back conversations, and indeed you helped us a lot by things that you discovered. Usually, what we find building our SDKs is that we're we're I think like most developers, nearly too close to the bone sometimes to figure out how this is going to get used in the real world and the yeah. pitfalls and, and issues somebody else developing on it might have. So I very much appreciated the interaction that you had with our development team in that, Dean, um, because it, that helped us a lot. And I think the developers I know in Realm love to hear of it being used out in, in the real world and for real. Um, and and that, that's been very beneficial. So you're, you're very happy ultimately with how that went? For sure. And um, yeah, we've got it currently, it's pushed out to desktop platforms. So Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. And Realm is working great across all those platforms. We also have it on Android and iOS, but it's kind of in a beta state. Uh, We're planning Mm -hmm. on pushing that out further. But yeah, Realm has allowed us to basically push out to all these platforms with no issues at all. Yeah, it's been a a dream to work with. Even with uh, SQLite, getting the native dependencies right across all these platforms, it's kind of on on you as a developer, while Realm kind of has everything kind of in place to make that work. Uh, That's great to hear. I'm going to cut this snippet of the podcast out and I'm going to send it on to the engineering teams. They would be delighted to hear that firsthand feedback. You touched on it earlier insofar as OSIS, in this change that you started in 2017 with the rewrite, you went open source. Tell us the reasoning behind that. So I've I've always been about transparency in the game with how we develop it and you know, trying to give back as much to the community, but also give back to mm-hmm. the development community. A lot of players are also, we, we have a very, I guess, a relatively young audience okay. in the community. Okay. And a lot of the people that are playing the game are also, you know, growing up and getting into game development themselves. So I saw that there was a potential to give back to these players as well, get more, get more involvement, not mm-hmm, only on mm-hmm. the side of user uh, of content creation, but having people contribute to the game itself. And yeah, over the years, like even before we went open source, I had a lot of people ask me if they can help with the game and we did bring in quite a few people, but there was always this barrier of having a closed source code base, where it wasn't very easy to share things outwards. Yeah, and and look, obviously, I mean, that's that's the main benefit of open source, and indeed, you know, MongoDB's origins come from there as well too. How do you manage to handle those contributions and and kind of the PRs that you get? And you know, I noticed from the website, for example, that it seems that updates are going out weekly. You have a yes. huge change log there. There's lots of people helping out. How is that managed for, for from your small team as well too, Dean? Uh, <laughs> with a lot of um, stress on the <laughs> on the side of some developers, uh, yeah, it's, it's right. a huge uh, flood of incoming pull requests and issues we get. And mm. this is this is before we've even gotten live with this open source version. Like it's still very much in a testing state, and we've mm-hmm. held back pushing it out to the full user base until now because we know that we're just going to get flooded with even more incoming support requests as we as we get more users on board. So the new version has something in the range of hundreds of thousands of users that have ever opened it whereas the actual game is you know several magnitudes higher than that yeah i i can't really say much about how we manage it apart from that it's still an ongoing point of conflict and point of concern 
how to actually keep up with this this flow of open source contributions and yeah discussions and everything else that comes with it. I suppose that's one of the things from when you go down this route of open source with the community, it's yep. a good complaint almost. You know, you have a lot of PRs, you've got a lot of people raising issues, you've got a lot of people helping you out to fix things, but there is that management side of it. But from my eyes, from what I've seen, you're doing a, a superb job and to keep that, you know, <laughs> keep that alive. So um, that, that seems kind of a huge amount of work to, to manage that level of enhancements. And, and I think that's great. So this is Project Laser, right? You're, this is what that's you're That's correct, yeah. So you, you've it's been in gestation for a while. When, when when will you push it out fully to the to the, the wider community of <laughs> yeah, players? Yeah, I think we we started on this in something like 2017, and I think we are finally at the point where maybe we we get this pushed out completely this year, next year. Everything is pretty much in place, but it's more about the user acceptance side of things now, making sure that all the features that people because we've built up a huge amount of features in the games in the game over the years that people have come to expect to be there and the way i developed the game originally it was you know just about getting the the maximum the maximum throughput in features not worrying about the code quality too much these days we're doing the exact opposite we're making sure that the game is maintainable into the future even if i was to stop working on it or you know disappear and okay. someone had to take over <laughs> yeah Try, trying to keep everything completely documented and in a way that someone would be very excited to take over the project rather than look at this code base and be like, oh my God, what have <laughs> I ended up with? <laughs> and is there anything currently kind of hampering your, your growth or your scale or are you happy with where everything is at the moment? Or is there you know, something that's kind of a, an ongoing frustration, be it technical, be it reach of your community I don't think so. No, the main the main concern is just getting this new version out to the users and okay. you know figuring out what needs to be done, what's left to be done to satisfy the the vast majority. And I I guess the hardest thing there is managing the community, managing managing the feedback we get from users in this day and age where the vocal minority is often very very vocal about things that are missing or things that are done wrong putting this into perspective of the larger part of the community, which is very happy with how things are. And also just supporting the different hardware that people are running on and getting good performance out of, you know, devices. People are potentially playing this game on PCs from the like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they expect it to run well. So, you know, re-engineering with the latest libraries and stuff, but also getting that backwards compatibility is a huge... It is tough to manage those multiple platforms. As you say, you're on you're on Windows and Linux and Mac OS and in beta, well, on mobile and iOS and Android, right? Uh, but very yes. much in kind of beta environment for, for, for there. I think, as you say, there's a saying that the squeaky wheel, wheel gets the most oil. And I think mm -hmm. that's what you're trying to get at there with your community. There's the people who will always be the most vocal, but you yep. know, they could be very much in the minority. And as you said, the, the satisfied users, and again, you can attest to, you know, your hundreds of thousands of users maybe on, on on laser versus the much more larger group who are very happy and content with it are, are the ones that you're not necessarily eliciting the feedback from other than they're they're happy to keep playing yeah but the other thing to remember is that this feedback usually comes from a good place like these these mm. people are mm -hmm. very vocal because they care about the game and they care about getting from the game exactly what they and potentially others expect so we do definitely try our, our hardest to listen to every single piece of feedback and you know i i try my best to reply to every every email i get it's 
it's quite a quite a huge time <laughs> sink for me actually keeping up with the community but I, I feel it's important even if that takes away a bit from development time and I, I suppose obviously laser that's the biggest next step getting yes. that out to the rest of the community is there a, an agenda beyond that dean is there is there once that's done we're going to do x y or z or even something that you could maybe tell us about or or is that get that out and, and take a long holiday well i mean i would love to one of one of the things i'd really like to do is uh, work on a different project but like you know try something new or potentially work for someone else or just you know take a step back but i don't think that's going to happen at this rate <laughs> we we have this huge backlog of features which currently we're trying to get you know feature parity with the old version but after that there's so much that users have requested that i just don't see an end in sight it's it's a bit scary <laughs> don't see an end it's a bit scary but it it's a challenge that obviously you have given your 15 years with this so far yeah given the fact that you've turned something that was a hobby and an interest into a business and actually employed other people to do that and and built this massive global community. I don't think anybody wants you to step away from this, Dean. I think they're they're obviously looking to build more and more and, and, and broaden this. For sure. And like, I wouldn't want to wish on anyone else what I do. I, I, I think it takes like a, a certain degree of insanity to do, to, to take on this role. But yeah, at the same time, one thing I will say is that like, no matter what happens in the future, I'm very uh, happy. I'm very content with everything we've achieved to the day. And I think it's important to like take these things day by day and just being like, so many people have enjoyed this game over the last 15 years. It's like, we could, we could destroy everything today. And I would still be content with the fact that we've given so much enjoyment back over the the last decade. Yeah, and, and I have to heap nothing but praise on you for that, from everything that you've talked about. And obviously that enjoyment is a reward in itself for you having built this. And the fact, I, in my view anyway, that fact that you haven't tried to overtly grow this beyond its means or overtly monetize it or put barriers in the way of play. Um, and that by kind of the supporters tags that you have, you're saying, well, look, we do need some revenue here to keep this going, but we know what we need and we know how to go about it. And I think that there's something incredibly altruistic about that, as well as open source, as well as how you manage that. So I think you've done a stunning a stunning effort, and I very much look forward to the continued growth of OS going forward. Is there anything else you'd like to share with, with the podcast audience and people out there? As I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of developers out there who would love to take their hobby, their interest into their day job. Um, mm. You obviously have done this. You've walked the walk, talked the talk. Any advice for those sort of developers that might be teetering on that edge, particularly because with COVID, people have been working from home. They now realize that you don't need an office, per se, to go to. You don't need to turn up in a particular place for a particular certain amount of time. So the opportunities, I think, are presenting themselves to developers to to take on the, the their own projects and side projects and maybe see can they run with them. Yeah, I think um, the way I've always seen it is I all my side projects, everything I've worked on has been something that I've both been interested in and something that I've wanted to exist myself, whether that's improving an existing service that doesn't quite do what I want to do. I always build for myself and then push it out to the public. And if if that catches on, then it does. But I'm I'm not really developing things with you know marketing or whether it's financially viable in mind. I think that's the important thing is to start off just trying to build an amazing product 
there's so many examples of that in the past, particularly in the tech space of developers scratching an itch, something they wanted fixed that sure. all of a sudden pivoted and snowballed and, and grew into something else. But I, I think in, in your case, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with what you've built with OS and, and how you've gone about it. And, and this has been a fascinating conversation. So for the listeners, before we finish, where, again, just remind us where we can go to play it or the GitHub repo to go and, and become part of the community and contribute. Uh, yep. So you can go to osu.ppy.sh to grab the game. Or you can go to GitHub, PPY is our organization, and everything's listed there. Excellent. This has been great. I do appreciate your time in joining us. And and as you said earlier, you don't view this as work. I can attest to that because you're in Japan, I'm in Ireland. We've got a nine-hour time difference. It's super late, your time. Yeah. Uh, you're more than happy to jump on this podcast. And for, for that, I thank you, Dean. So we do appreciate you joining us, and we look forward to following the progress of OSH as it goes forward. Yep, thanks Shane. It was a great conversation. As you can probably tell, I really enjoyed my conversation with Dean, and it amazes me the level of commitment he has to OS and to the OS community. It really stands out that this is more than a job or a business for him, and that behind everything there's a sense of purpose, community, and vision. I very much look forward to watching the continued success of OS. If you want to try it out for yourself, the links to the website and repos mentioned in the show are in the show notes, so do check those out also. Like Dean, if you have a story of interest to our listeners, we're always looking for guests on the MongoDB podcast. So if you feel that you can contribute, do get in touch with us at podcast at mongodb.com and we'd very much love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. If you did enjoy this episode, as ever, please do leave us a rating and even a review on whatever podcast platform you use. It really does help us. So for me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, until next time, do take care and thanks for listening.